0: Well, turn your Bibles this morning, the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15. I have been, for during this fall, talking to you from the book of Judges and we've been talking a, 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 lot, a series of messages called Turnaround Leaders for Trouble Times. Turnaround Leaders for trouble Times. A turnaround is defined as a complete reversal of a situation. And let me know God has the ability to fix what's broken in a nation. How many know God has the ability to turn things around? He has the ability to turn things around in your home, turn things around in your school, turn things around on the ball team that you may be uh, playing on. How many know the Bible is not just a history book for us, but it speaks life to us in the world we live today? But let me tell you this, a leader can turn things around, but how many know a leader can also make things worse? I'm talking about a God-called person, a God-anointed person, who starts at the bottom, can get to the top, but find themselves that they make mistakes and end up making things worse rather than better. Well, Saul is a perfect example of that. 1 Samuel 15. uh, The prophet Samuel now speaking to Saul, and this fifteenth chapter is somewhat of a summary from this man who was at the top and fell down to the bottom, King Saul, Samuel the prophet said to him, Though you are little in your own eyes, likely referring to a sense of shyness, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And notice what it says, The Lord anointed you king of Israel. We jump ahead to verse 26. Samuel the prophet says to Saul, For you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king. Now, how many know it's a bad thing when God rejects you? Here we've got a picture of a guy who came from one of the smallest tribes of Israel. He came out of obscurity. He was a shy person. We know that because when he was prepared to be made king, they couldn't find him because he was hiding. And lo and behold, this guy started at the bottom. God placed him at the top as a king. He could do anything he wanted to do. He had everything that he wanted, but something happened to this man. He fell to the bottom. Now here's the question I'm going to endeavor to answer this morning. How does a person fall from that place of success and God rejects you and end up at the bottom. What happened to Saul? And what I believe it is, my friends, is he failed the test of success. Let me say it again. He failed the test of success. Now, how many know this is a test all of us face as well. Uh, Everyone in this room wants to be successful. Everyone in this room wants some sense of position in life. We all want some sense of, of, of success, of prosperity. Uh, we all uh, s- strive to have more money, to a place of wealth, a, a position of power or authority. It's just what happens. It happens on the football field, and they have a captain. It happens on the cheerleading squad. they've got a head cheerleader. It happens in the office. Someone emerges, emerges and becomes the office manager. It happens in Christian denominations. somebody becomes the bishop. There is a sense that God wants to raise up a leader, but I will suggest to you this morning that a leader can fail the test of success. That man, that woman could be someone that God places His hand upon for influence, but rather than turning things around, they can make it worse. And this is a message that applies to all of us, because I guarantee you, if you're in the secretarial pool, somebody wants to be the office manager. If you're on the football team in the ninth grade and don't even make the team, but well, how many know, by the t- if you work hard, it's possible, by the twelfth grade, you've got division one scholarships. How many know if you're working in a business, you could be an engineer, an IT person? Well, lo and behold, someone's going to run that company one day. It could be you. So when I talk about the test of success, it's not just a historical look backwards, but it is a challenging message from the Bible that causes us to look at our lives that when we begin to climb this ladder, how do we avoid the mistake Saul made? How do we not fall backwards and life become worse, but how do we stay strong? How do we stay humble? And literally, God is able to trust us with success and our lives are used to make a difference. Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So I want you to look with me, 1 Samuel chapter 15 is going to be our text, and we're going to begin in verse 3, as Saul failed the test of success. Uh, Let me give you the picture. Now go and completely, uh, Samuel the prophet is speaking to Saul, go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. Now this is a big one. God said, I want you to destroy the men, the women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, donkeys. What in the world does that mean? It was, in a sense, a holy war. These Amalekites, as a people, when Moses came through into the wilderness, they did not help the children of Israel. They actually attacked them. They hurt them. They ambushed them. They set themselves against them. And God says, because you've rejected my will and my people, one day I'm going to judge you, and this was that judgment. It's a very difficult thing to look at in the Bible to see when God would annihilate a group of people. But how many know the same God who is a loving God is also what? a just God. It's like a coin. If you don't have a a, a nickel that has a head and a tail to it, you have a counterfeit. God is loving, but God is also just. And when God judges a people, it is always because of their sin. When God judges a nation, it is because that nation has been tainted by sin. And on several occasions in the Scripture, you will see what God basically told His people, when you go and drive evil from the land, I don't want you to touch a thing, I don't want you to take a thing. It's sacred, it's holy, it's devoted to the Lord. And that was the standard, that was God's command. But notice verse 9 says, Saul and his men spared Agag's life. Now, Agag was the king of the Amalekites. God told them, remember, wipe everything out. But now they're sparing this man. And as we explore the story, you'll see the reason they did it is because they wanted to show him off. He was a spoil of war. He was, he was a trophy, if I can say it that way. Well, God said, I want you to... Uh, but but they, they, they did not spare his life. And notice what it says. They kept the best of the sheep and the goats. It goes on to say, "...everything, in fact, that appealed to them, they kept, they destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality." What does that mean? God had given them a standard of command. And how many believe God's commands are just as relevant today as they were in the Bible days? When God speaks to you, He expects you to do it. God basically told Saul and company, I want you to do something, but Saul said no. He told them that he wanted them to to act in a certain fashion, but because they allowed reason to cause them to do something different, save the best for their personal use, as well as to make a sacrifice to God, their disobedience was the beginning of their downfall. And I suggest to you, our disobedience as well can be the beginning of our downfall. Once God gets us to a place or a position of success, if we begin to turn our back on God, if we begin to kind of reason and rationalize our way through, if we say, Lord, I don't like it, I want to do it my way, it could well be that we're on the pathway that Saul was. So with that background, let's look in a, a verse 10. We're going to look at the whole 15th chapter this morning. And I'm going to endeavor to give you three different uh, illustrations or or three things that that, uh, lessons, spiritual lessons that we can learn here because I want you to see in your life that we can be a mirror of Saul or we can be the opposite of what Saul did. Because my hope for you is that when you achieve success in life, not just for yourself but for God's kingdom, that absolutely nothing uh, gets in the way but you pass every test. Praise the Lord. Let's look first. Now, I'm going to talk about three things briefly, quickly this morning. And the first one is, the first mistake that Saul made was that he became first and God became second. How many know God never wants to be second in life? God always wants to be first. He became first and, uh, uh, and, and God was second. And secondly, he practiced what I call selective obedience. In other words, he would pick and choose which, what he would obey. And thirdly, he cared more about what people thought about him than what God thought. And how many know that's a big one? Anybody have trouble being a people pleaser in life? Sure, or afraid of what people would say about us or think about us. Same issues as today. Let's begin in verse 10. Saul became first, and almost unconsciously God became second. As we read this, I want you to think about the fact, this guy was just like you and just like me. I have never struggle with rejecting God. I have never woke up and said, you know what, I don't think I want to be a believer anymore. I don't think I want to follow God. But sometimes I tend to put God in a secondary place if I'm not careful. I'm a little more concerned about me than I am about Him. Now, verse 10 the Message Bible, God spoke to Samuel. Now, the context of the story is this. Saul leads this army of thousands of warriors. They go out. They destroy, they win the victory, they practice this partial obedience, and then they come back. Well, as they're coming back, God knows that they have disobeyed, and he tells the prophet Samuel to speak this to Saul. God said, verse 11, I'm sorry I ever made Saul king. He's turned his back on me. Now listen, he refuses to do what I tell him. He refuses to do what I tell him. And look at verse 12. So Samuel now gets up early in the morning, and he's going to confront Saul. That's what the prophet would do. He would challenge the leader of the land. But Saul Saul, uh, went to confront him, but was told, Saul's gone. He went to Carmel, listen, to set up a victory monument in his own honor. He's not here. He went to set up a victory monument in his own honor. Now, what in the world does that mean? It's like Saul won this great victory, and he came home, and he wanted to make a statue where everybody could know it. Now, I don't know what his pose was. Maybe uh, uh, maybe he put a shield in one hand, and they said, put a sword in the other. And You know, when you, you take a picture today, and particularly kids, you know, particularly girls, I've got two younger girls, and they always have this kind of, I, I call it a smoochy look on their face, but it's just kind of one of these, you know, where they'll do that, or they'll kind of get a strike of pose. You do it too. Come on now, girls. Well, that's what, that's what Saul was doing. He had won this great victory, and he came back home, and he said, look at me. It's like if you watch football this afternoon, more than likely, when somebody makes a great play, they're going to do something like that. They're going to do something to say, look what I did. Well, did they do it? Yeah, but think about what Tebow, you know, the classic, the phrase now is Tebowing. When he does something that's really great, guess what he does? He'll get on one knee. And what's the point of that? It's like saying, God is the one that helped me be successful. God is the one that's behind my success. It was not my smarts, it was not my ability, but it was a constant recognition, come on, that God is the source of every good thing in my life. And I suggest to you this is the first, perhaps the greatest lesson that we can learn in this short short story. If we ever lose sight of the fact that everything I am, come on, everything I have and everything I can do is because of the Lord, I'm on the way to a downfall. And, and this is a test we have in life. If you're in sales, you remember the first big commission check you got? You remember when you got your degree and you got the business card printed out on your diploma? They put some letters behind your name, whether it was an attorney, a CPA, or, or, or a graduate from college, and, and, and then you became a mister, so to speak, or you became a miss. It, it, it's almost like life when we have these successes. And how many know success is a good thing? Did did you see on the paper last week uh, when this old boy caught uh, this 13-foot, 3-inch alligator (laughs) just south of Millwood? I mean, he's right on the paper, and he's sitting on the top of that alligator. That's a pretty cool picture. But guess what? Uh, Now, he's there, and I'm sure he knew in the back of his mind that this gator could take him out, but I wonder if he just posed for the picture and said, look at me, come on, or if he said, Lord, thank you for letting me do this thing. It's a part of life. And what we're looking for, what we want to be careful of, is that pride doesn't slip into our life. That when we become successful, when we begin to get accolades from people, that if we're not careful, we can promote ourselves and build monuments for ourselves, and God can slip in the background of our life. And that's the first lesson that Saul would say, is be careful, make sure God is always first in your life, come on, and not second. Give the Lord a good hand this this morning. Look at another one, verse 13. Uh, Saul practiced what I call selective obedience, Selective obedience. So now mind you, the two have gotten together. Uh, Saul, Samuel has confronted him, and here's or uh, actually it's in the process of confronting him. Saul is coming back. Samuel's figured out where he is, and this is the first words that Saul says when he meets the prophet. Saul greeted him and said, "I have carried out the Lord's command." Now what did God tell him to do? God basically said, everything needs to be judged. It's sacred. They're an unholy group. But what he did is he kept the king and he kept the best. Now, arguably, he could have kept some of these sheep and things to make a sacrifice. But guess what? God is the one that gets to make the rules, not us. And now he's reasoning these things through. I've carried out the Lord's command, verse 14. The prophet said, then, what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats and lowing of cattle that I hear? In other words, you've told me you obeyed, but here's the evidence. In verse 22, Samuel asked this amazing question. He said, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your sacrifices or your obedience to His voice? Now, I want you to think what he did. Granted, he had some ego in this thing here, that he brought this king back so he could show him off. But he was going to use these animals as a sacrifice to the Lord. Now you remember, in the Old Testament era, literally there were uh, animal sacrifices. You remember the Scripture teaches us that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. That's why Jesus died on the cross; his blood was shed for us. Beginning in the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve, you remember when they went out from the Garden of Eden? What did God put on their shoulders? A jacket he picked up at J.C. Penney's? No, animal skins. So, so in God's economy, a life always has to be a, to atone for or sacrifice for another life. So the sacrificial system was a part of the Old Testament worship in anticipation of Christ. So now what they're saying is, look, we brought back some really cool sheep and goats and things and we're going to make a sacrifice for this. But for God, listen, partial obedience is never enough. I I call it Christian light. In other words, it's kind of Christian, but it's not fully Christian. Has anybody ever heard of light beer? Come on, you bunch of holy Joes. You what? Light, but what is light beer? Less calories. What is it? Less calories, less filling. It's beer. But it's a counterfeit beer. See, now you thought I was going to ask you, how many drink light beer, right? And you were going to raise your hand. Right no. Only bad joke of the morning. But the point is, it's a counterfeit for the real thing. And what we try to do sometimes as Christians is practice selective obedience. We obey part of what God wants us to do, but we kind of justify the rest. I can't explain to you why God is is stricter sometimes than at others. When we had communion, I want to tell you what, I have been grateful that God is a forgiver. When somebody first told me that God could wash my sins away and God could give me another chance, I want to tell you, buddy, I am grateful. But I see times in the Scripture when you don't get much of a second chance. New Testament, your Ananias and Sapphira. These guys sold their property to give a special offering, but somehow in it they lied and they were both struck down. Moses, I'm talking about Moses now. Moses, when God told him the people were thirsty, God said to Moses, I want you to speak to this rock and, and water is going to come out of a rock like a water fountain. But Moses, in his anger, hit the rock. He struck it. And now water still came out, but for that simple act of disobedience, Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. And I want to suggest to you, obedience still matters. I can't, in my little mind, figure how the two meet. It's like the truth of justice and mercy come, and the truth of obedience bump against each other. Jesus said, if you love me, what will you do? Obey my my commandments. commandments. Peter said, be what? Be holy, set apart to God as I am. In the book of Revelation, the seven churches were all called to be overcomers. Not just believers and confessors, but overcomers. So there is this sense in the Christian life that God is merciful, but I want to tell you, friends, actions matter and obedience matters. And sometimes we kind of negotiate and reason our way through. For example, maybe you're not happy in your marriage and you believe that uh, the 11th commandment is God wants me to be happy. Now, the Bible would say husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church, which implies a deliberateness in working through what's broken in your marriage. But in the Christian light version, you figure the best way that you can just get rid of this spouse, come on, keep as much money in your pocket as you can, replace them, and as soon as that's over, you get the kids and you're back in church and everything is great. Now listen, I know some divorces are messy. There's some legitimate scriptural reasons. But most of the things that I say is just because people wanted to be happy. Come on. And they weren't very high up on the obedience scale. Maybe you struggle with homosexual tendencies. So you move to a new town and you find where the gay church is. What is that? Selective obedience. See, how many know God has standards and they don't change with the day. They don't change with the wind. Come on, right is right and wrong is wrong and God is not looking for us to make up our own religion Christianity is not some eclectic blend of whatever I want to bring to the table I want the mercy of Jesus come on and I want the insights of Confucius come on and, and I want the the practices of the new age and I want this from yoga and I, I want this and I want all that and that's gonna be my religion that's not the way it works God is the one that sets the standards and rules come on our choice is to obey or not obey but the murky middle is a place called selective obedience and it's a dangerous place to be come on give the Lord a another good hand. Let me give you another one, verse 24. Saul cared more about what people thought about him rather than what God thought. Now I want to tell you, this is a struggle with me because I, I, I have to be careful so I'm not a people pleaser. This is what politicians do. They, they, they don't just act out of their conviction. They take polls to see what people want them to say. I want them to do, and that's what they do. And then when they get in office, come on, then they do whatever they want to do. That is not what you're supposed to be as a person of character. Chapter 15, verse 24. Now Saul has realized he's done wrong. And he said to Samuel, the prophet, he said, I was afraid of the people, so I gave in to them. The same thing that Aaron said. Remember when Moses came down from the mountain, he built the golden calf. I was afraid of the people. Verse 30, there's another aspect of this. Uh, His view with people. Verse 30, he told uh, Saul, Saul said, I've sinned, but now he said, please honor me before the elders. In other words, he's come back from battle and he knows he's messed up big time, but he says, okay, all I've done is wrong, but I still want you, prophet, to walk with me as I go back in town so people will think well of me. Walk before me and the elders, honor me, come back with me so I may worship the Lord my God or the Lord your God. So what is the issue here? He cared more about pleasing people than pleasing God. Let me say it again. He cared more about pleasing people than pleasing God. And being a man pleaser or afraid of people will get you in trouble. Let's read a scripture or two here. Proverbs 29, 25. Being afraid of people can get you into trouble. Or the fear of man is a snare. But if you trust in the Lord, you'll be safe. How about John 12, 42? many even this is jesus now many among the leaders the pharisees believed in jesus but because of the pharisees they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue and i want you to say verse 43 out loud with me for they loved human praise more than praise from god they loved human praise more than praise from god what does that mean that is they wanted people to think well of them and God somehow became second. Can I tell you, friend, that's a trap. And that's what Saul had degraded into. He wanted a monument to himself so people would go by and say, look at what you've done. And I want to suggest to you, friends, people can get you in trouble in your spiritual life. Let me give you a perfect example. You know why I think uh, p- uh, many Christians don't pray over their food? They're afraid of what people will say. Come on. We're embarrassed. Now, you're not praying over your food to make it safe. I mean, the USDA is taking pretty good care of that. But you're praying to, first of all, acknowledge that God is the one that gave me something to eat. And you're telling him, thank you. But you know it just like I do. When you're in a group of people that you want to impress, that you want to keep stature with, and, and it's time for the meal to be served. Or maybe you're at a party with them and you're trying to live a Christian life, but now it's it's food time. And I don't mean you have to say, hey everybody, shut up, now I'm going to pray. You don't have to do that. But just the simple act of you bowing your head. Listen, they can be over here GD and this and cussing that and all this stuff going around you. But when you bow your head a minute, instantly they know. And you have put yourself, not in a self-righteous category, but in a humble category to honor God. Can I tell you what stops you from doing that? It's the fear of man. And the fear of man is a snare. But the other dangerous thing is peer pressure. I had a young person recently come up to me and, and they were kind of complaining about their clothes. And, you know, they were kind of wanting me to talk to their mom. But I said, look, not my business, that's yours. But they were basically saying, well, you know, when I wear the same thing, then my friends say, you're wearing those again? Now, I want to tell you, it's easy for me as an old god to tell that person that you just need to be thankful you got a pair of pants. But when you are that little boy, come on, or that little girl, it matters what other people say. And I have found, as a 55-year-old man, it still matters what people say to me. But the thing I've got to be careful of is I don't become a people pleaser rather than a God-fearer. Come on, give the Lord a a good hand. And I'm, I'm done this morning. We're going to wrap up and then close in prayer. I'm going to have Pastor Kaya pray in a moment. But let me close with this. It's a New Testament scripture, and and our heart determines what kind of leader we're going to be. Now let me say it again and tune in with me. It's our heart that determines what kind of leader God will make us to be. It's not just the diplomas on the wall. It's not the label on the suit. But it's what's on the inside. Uh, Acts 13, verse 21, the New Testament speaking of this same story. The people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul. Now, Saul, the Bible tells us early on, Saul was taller than anybody else. He was a handsome guy. I mean, so Saul went to the gym. He worked out, and he was good looking, okay? His, his hair was moose just right. I mean, everything was perfect about this guy. I mean, I don't know what's in now, whether you shave your hair or let it grow. I don't, well, I don't know what's in today, but whichever those are in, that's what he was like, okay? So he's this guy, and it's all outward. But verse 22 says... God removed Saul. God removed him. Because he was all about the outward and not the heart. But notice what it said. God replaced him with David. A man about whom God said, I have found David, a man after my own heart. He'll do everything I want him to do. And can I tell you, David now is going to be the turnaround leader. Saul could have been the turnaround leader. He got to the place... But then he, went from good to, then he went to good, and he went from bad to worse. David now will pick it up. And David will be the man that will bring Israel to the greatest days in the nation's history. When Israel, when you read through the rest of the Bible, and they look back to the good glory days, they're talking about the days of David and the kingdom he handed over to his son Solomon. And the whole key to his leadership ability was his heart was tuned into God. It doesn't mean he was perfect. We well, you know he had his Bathsheba moment. But how many know, even in that, he still humbled himself before God, and God was the center of his life. And my friend, that's a lesson that we all can learn today so we can avoid the mistakes of Saul and be like David, a man after God's own heart. And isn't that what Jesus said it's about? To love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Come on, give the Lord a good hand and stand to your feet today. I'm done stand to your feet. We're going to sing a song together, and then we're going, to, we're going to close in prayer. But I want you to just, if I could say this in the next three or four minutes, just invite the Holy Spirit's presence in your life this morning. Would you just ask the Lord right now to, Lord, help me to integrate this truth in my life? Would you just show me, Lord, if there's a part of my life that's drifted from where it needs to be? Would you help me be the person that you want me to be? Come on, just begin to sing, Pastor. So